Well, good morning, everyone. Last uh, week, Noah had preached from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I am going to read that section again this morning just for context, and then we will move on to our section in verses 9 through 14 uh, this morning. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the south, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And so last week we learned that, the, that Jesus, the Son of Man, is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Pharisees were trying to condemn the disciples for satisfying their hunger, but when they lawfully plucked heads of grain in a farmer's field and ate the grain. No doubt the Pharisees had added to the law and suggested that the act of plucking the grain was harvesting, and the act of eating the grain was threshing, and these works were forbidden on the Sabbath. But you have to ask, when God wrote the laws concerning the Sabbath, was it his intention to forbid someone who was hungry from eating? Jesus, who is Lord of the Sabbath, says no. And he says that by reminding them of what happened, he says that by reminding them of what happened during David's day, when David was rejected by the nation, he was king, but he was rejected by the nation, and upon fleeing for his life, he came to the house of God, and in mercy, the priests fed him with the showbread. They showed mercy to David in his time of need. The Lord and his disciples were in the same situation. Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, was rejected by the nation, and in particular by the Pharisees. And although they should have been, Jesus and his disciples should have been well cared for, they were poor and they were gleaning a few heads of grain from the field, which was a lawful thing to do, and they ate it to satisfy their basic needs. The rules that the Pharisees had added to the law placed burdens upon people and made their life more difficult. They should have looked for ways to lift the burden off the back of God's people and look for ways to show mercy. Jesus said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Had the Pharisees understood that, they would not have condemned 
the innocent disciples. Jesus was actually quoting from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, and actually this is not the first time he quotes this passage in uh, the Gospel of um, Matthew. He quotes it again in chapter 9, so earlier in chapter 9, verse 13. And in the context of that passage, Jesus called the tax collector, Matthew, to follow him and be his disciple. And when Matthew followed the Lord, he threw a dinner party, and he invited all of his tax collector friends, and Jesus and his disciples sat down and ate with tax collectors and sinners. And this infuriated the Pharisees who asked Jesus' disciples why Jesus would eat with these lowlifes. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13, we read this, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees had so isolated themselves from sinners that they were cold, heartless ritualists who looked down their theological noses at anyone who did not follow their righteous standards. They considered themselves spiritually healthy and everyone else to be spiritual lovers. But Jesus came as the great physician to heal the sick, to bind the brokenhearted, to set the captives of sin free. He was and is the cure for tax collectors and sinners. He came to call sinners to repentance. He did not come to, to condemn the world, we read, but that the world through him might be saved. And so we see the meaning of I desire mercy and not sacrifice from both Matthew 9 and Matthew 12. In Matthew 9, it answers the question, is it wrong to show mercy to unsaved people in order to bring them to repentance and salvation? And the answer comes thundering from the Lord's lips, I desire mercy. In Matthew 12, uh, he answers the question, is it wrong to show mercy on the Sabbath to meet basic human needs? And Jesus answers the question thoroughly, I desire mercy. So the Lord challenged the Pharisees just as he challenges us to remember the scripture that says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And it appears that when Jesus said this in Matthew 12, he left them with that thought and went away. And it could be that they had at least a week or more to think about those words, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So that is the setup for what is coming next in verses 9 through 14. And so the question for this week is, is it against the law to do good on the Sabbath? Verse 9, now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And so it sounds from Matthew that he had this conversation. He said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
and he immediately went to the synagogue on this Sabbath day. But we read actually in Luke chapter 6 in the parallel passage that it wasn't the same day. And in Luke 6 we read, now it happened on another Sabbath. And so that's why I say the Lord left this spot with them to think about perhaps for a week or maybe more. So on another Sabbath, the Lord went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? And how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. And the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Let's just ask the Lord's blessing as we look at this part of the scripture. Lord, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you desire mercy and not sacrifice. And you desire mercy in our lives as well. Not only do you desire to show mercy to us, but you desire us to be merciful to those around us. Lord, help us to hear your words today in Jesus' name. So the Lord had left them to think of what God wants. I desire mercy. And they used the time after he said those words to not to show mercy, but to think of a way to trap the Lord into breaking the Sabbath to accuse him, or at least their interpretation of Sabbath keeping. I want you to think about this for a minute. They were at the synagogue. Why were they there? Were they there to worship God? Were they there to confess their sins? Were they there to praise God? There's an interesting uh, psalm, Psalm 136, and it's called the Great Hallel. It's one of the favorite Jewish psalms for festivals. And there are 26 verses in this psalm altogether. And each verse begins with the phrase, and then the second phrase in every case is, for his mercy endures forever. And so it is a song that the Jews knew. It was a song that they sang. It was in their memory. And you would have to hear that refrain over and over and over again 26 times. And so coming to the synagogue, coming and worshiping the Lord, you would have this thought in your heart and in your mind already to show mercy. For mercy, for his mercy, endures forever. But no, they came on this Sabbath to do evil. They came to trap Jesus, to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, and to mercilessly exploit a crippled man to further their agenda. They came to the synagogue with a withered heart. And they presented to him a man 
whose hand was withered. Think about the cold and callous hearts that would take a man with a physical disability and exploit him to prove a point. And a wrong point about Did they care for the man? Did they relieve any of his pain or suffering? Luke 6, 6 tells us that it was the man's right hand that was withered. And for most people, the right hand is their strongest hand. His was the weakest hand. Yet Jesus saw this man's pain. He saw his suffering. He who made him knew all about him. And in a society where manual labor was normal, a crippled hand was a detriment. On April 1st of 2020 this year, as I was getting on a roof at my house, the ladder I was on gave way, as you know, and I fell and I shattered my heel. I have now had, I was in the hospital three times, I had eight surgeries altogether. The surgeon installed a plate and 11 screws into my foot. I have had months of recovery. This coming Tuesday marks the fifth month of my recovery, and I still have a long way to go. My, my surgeon told me last week that she thinks it will be 12 months before I have completely recovered, and even then, she said, I may not have full use of my foot as I had before the, uh, the fall. If Jesus were here in our presence this morning, I would go to him and I would ask him to heal my foot, that it might be restored to full use again, for I believe, as we read in the scripture this morning and at the Lord's Supper as well, that he is very compassionate and he would show me mercy. I have suffered surgeries, pain, swelling, limping, the, the inability to walk properly. I missed walking down the aisle with my daughter at her wedding. Uh, the loss of business, the lack of proper exercise and the lack of stamina, it's all come with this one injury. I've been unable to do the things I love to do, such as gardening, picking fruit from our trees. I'm grateful for those who came yesterday to pick fruit uh, from the trees so that you could enjoy it. But I, I love doing that and bringing the fruit for everyone's enjoyment. Um, I can't do projects around the, the home. I rely more heavily upon Krista to get this and that and the other thing for me. Now, I'm enjoying that, but I would rather be able to do it myself. I'm handicapped. I feel useless. And yet I know that the Lord can heal if he wants to, for he is very compassionate and merciful. But the Pharisees were not. The man suffered just as I have suffered. My ailment is my foot. His was his withered hand. But he suffered many of the same things that I have suffered, and the Pharisees just didn't care. He was merely a pawn to be used to further 
their cause. And they were watching at the synagogue that day for Jesus to show up. And when he did, they brought out the man with the withered hand to test Jesus to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath day. Now stop and think about that for just a minute. Which one of them could heal the man? None of them. Yet they knew that Jesus could heal. They had seen him heal the sick, give sight to the blind, make the lame walk again, cause the dumb to speak and the deaf to hear. They may have also heard that he had raised the dead. Do you realize that in, in bringing this man forward uh, before Jesus, they were not questioning his ability to do these things? The evidence that he could heal was overwhelming. And so you have to ask yourself, why did they not fall on their knees and worship him as he entered into the synagogue? It was because their hearts were withered. Here was God manifested in the flesh, standing before them, and they were trying to trick him trying to condemn him, trying to show their superior righteousness. The fact that they knew that Jesus could heal the man and would likely heal the man should have been all the evidence they needed to realize that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God standing in their midst. They should have been there to worship him instead. All they could do was criticize. That alone exposed their withered hearts. But they were blind, too. They obviously knew Jesus could heal the man. That's what they wanted him to do. Not so they could praise God at the, at the glory of God being revealed in the healing of this man, but so they could bring charges against him for breaking their view of the Sabbath. And they asked him the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Jesus asked them a pointed question, as he often does when he comes to the Pharisees or to those who accuse him. They ask him a question. He asks a better question, and it, and it condemns them. What man is there, he says, among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, we'll not lay hold of it and lift it up. Silence filled the room. Mark chapter 3, verse 4 tells us, but they kept silent. Why? Because they knew full well that that is exactly what they would do on the Sabbath day. And the reality is, I would not be surprised if the Lord had already allowed their sheep to fall into the pit that week, and maybe even on the last Sabbath, in order for them to take it out of the, uh, the pit. Regardless, he's pointing out the obvious, that they would have more compassion for their sheep than they have for a human being made in the likeness and image of God. And Jesus was angry, it says in the other passages, because of the hardness of their hearts. Of course they would save their own sheep. 
They would have compassion. They would have mercy on their lamb, but not on this man. So he gives them the right answer of how much more value that there is a man than a sheep. You would save your sheep, but condemn me for saving this man. Oh, what withered hearts they had. As we read the other Gospels, we learn that Jesus called the man to step forward and he said to the Pharisees, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? That was the question they asked him. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? So if you read all of the other passages together, you'll see that was the that was the question that he put together for them. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Remember that. Their silence was definite. And Jesus called the man to stretch out his hand and it was restored as whole as the other. That is the compassion. That is the mercy of the Lord. Is it possible that we forget the compassion and mercy of the Lord. Think about where you were and how you lived before you met the Lord Jesus. Paul describes it this way, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were just like every other sinner in the world. We were slaves of Satan. We did the same evil that everyone else around us does. We filled our hearts and our lives, fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, the desires of our minds, and were by nature the children of wrath. And how did the Lord treat us? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know the meaning of showing compassion and showing mercy? Here it is. And this is the way Jesus treated you and treated me. We who were far off, he made nigh. And he has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is mercy. And each one of us is a trophy of his grace and a triumph of his mercy. The Bible describes the Lord Jesus as the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep and goes out and finds the one lost sheep. That is his mercy. The Bible describes the Lord Jesus in the story of the prodigal son as the father who loved his son, allowed him to take his inheritance and to spend it in prodigal living, and yet every day looked for the return of his wasted son. And when he finally repented and he turned his heart toward home, the father who had been watching and waiting 
day after day after day, ran out to him, and he met him, and he kissed that filthy boy, and he put a ring on his hand and a robe on his back and killed the fatted calf for him and celebrated the, the return of the lost son. His son had been dead and was now alive. He who was lost was now found. And the only one in this story who was not celebrating was the merciless other brother. That brother represents the withered hearts of the Pharisees in our story today. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. Jesus came to seek and to save you and to save me. That is his mercy. I desire mercy, he says, and not sacrifice. And yet he paid that ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross and bore our sins in his body on the tree that he might be able to extend his mercy to us and bring us to himself. He saved a sinner like me. He saved the chief of sinners like Paul. And he saved a wretch like John Newton, whose song we sang this morning, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton penned his own epitaph on his gravestone. And if you were to look at, go to England and look at the gravestone today, you would, you would see this. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Such is the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. People may forget John Newton's name, but they remember the song he penned, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Such is the compassion, such is the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and how necessary it was for our salvation. Each one of us, as I said, is a trophy of his grace and a triumph of his mercy. Well, Jesus healed the man and restored his withered hand, but he could do nothing with the Pharisees' withered hearts. Their hearts were hardened. You remember the story of the two men who went to the temple to pray? One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The tax collector standing afar would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Who did Jesus say went back to his house justified? It was the tax collector who prayed for mercy and God from our merciful Lord. And in our story today, who was healed? It was the man 
who was exploited by the Pharisees. The man with the withered hand went back to his house healed of his withered hand. And the Pharisees still have their withered hearts. Jesus said, therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The reality is that the Lord would have us do good, would have us show mercy every day of the week, not just on the Sabbath. And each week the Lord gives us all seven days to serve Him, to work for Him, to show mercy to everyone around us. We are to love mercy. In Micah 6, 8 it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want to add one more thing to this sermon this morning. And that is to those who are suffering or those who will suffer. Now I mentioned this this morning about his own son who uh, had a fall and had an injury and the mercy that Noah uh, extended to his own son and how the Lord extends mercy to us. There are those who suffer mentally. There are those who suffer physically. There are those who suffer spiritually or emotionally. And the Lord knows, and the Lord cares. You are on his heart, and he listens to our prayers, just as he did the tax collector who beat his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. He listens to our prayers, to our cries, and to our thoughts. The Lord searches us and knows us. He is acquainted with all our ways. And he does not allow us to suffer beyond what we are able to bear. Many of you know now that I was diagnosed this week with stage four prostate cancer, a disease that is not curable according to all medical literature. And although I may have months or even years of suffering ahead of me, I have this sweet assurance that is found in that passage that, Matt, that um, uh, Noah brought to our attention this morning, James chapter 5, verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. The Lord desires mercy from us because he is very compassionate and merciful to us. I don't know what the end intended by the Lord for me is personally, but I know that he will be very compassionate and merciful to me. And that's the way he will treat you too. The Pharisees were exploiting the man with the withered hand. Satan tried to exploit Job. And Satan is trying to do the same to you and to me, the children of God. I was asked about this recently, and I said, this that I am suffering, whether it's the foot or it's the cancer or any other disease like this, this is not of God. God gives to us every good gift and every perfect gift. That's what comes from the Father. There is no variableness. There's no shifting shadow of him. He doesn't treat 
us one way and another way. Satan, we see from the scripture, is the author of evil. He was the author of evil to Job. And he was trying to exploit him. And Job said that um, uh, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that should be coming from our voice as well. No matter what we suffer, um, the Lord, it has to first pass through the very merciful, uh, the very compassionate and merciful hands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he will never give us more than we can bear. Satan is trying to do the same to you and to me that he did to Job. But Jesus healed the man with the withered hand, and the Pharisees were left with the withered hearts. And I pray that we would have, that we would come through trials with hearts that are uh, merciful and tender, which is, I think, his intention. Jesus asked a probing question before he healed the man. I will ask you one thing, he said. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? What day was this that he asked this question? It was the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath. It was still the Sabbath day. They were standing in the synagogue. They condemned the Lord for showing mercy on the Sabbath. And they saw no contradiction in plotting the death of Jesus on the Sabbath. That's what they did. This is the blindness of self-imposed religion. This is the wickedness of a merciless heart. They had absolutely no problem plotting the murder of Jesus on the Sabbath, but condemned Jesus for showing mercy to this man on the Sabbath. Brothers and sisters, let us call upon the Lord today. Whatever you're experiencing in your own personal life, you need his mercy. We need his mercy every day. Let us call upon the Lord today for his mercy. Let us go forth from here this week and also show mercy to everyone we come across this week. Ask the Lord, Lord, give me an opportunity this week to demonstrate your mercy to those that come into contact with me. What is in store for us as believers? We don't know what a day brings forth. We really don't. But one thing is certain. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, when we see your mercy in the scripture, it's, it really is a rebuke to me at how cold my heart is at times to others around me. And Lord, I just pray that we might drink from this deep well of your mercy and that we might see that you are merciful to us and Lord, cause our hearts to be tender, very compassionate, and full of mercy to those around us, that we might clearly reflect your character to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.